Welcome to the Real Estate Lowdown. I'm your host, Bill Bymel. The Real Estate Lowdown is your weekly opportunity to step into the conversations going on in today's real estate and mortgage markets. We explore terms and concepts of the industry, host interviews of intriguing industry cohorts from high net worth investors to real estate agents just making their mark. We will share our love of all things real estate, bringing you the most innovative and sustainable real estate lifestyle ideas each and every week. If you enjoy what you hear today, hit the follow button, subscribe, so you don't miss an episode, and please share your support with a quick review. You can find me on the web at billbymel.com, and thanks for joining this episode of the Real Estate Lowdown. I welcome back to the Real Estate Lowdown, my friend. He's now our first returning guest to the Real Estate Lowdown, fund manager, investor, alternative investment expert, Fred Moskowitz. Hi, Fred. Hello, Bill. Thanks for having me back. It's great to be here. It's so nice to spend some time talking with a gentleman like yourself who has really got your pulse on, you know, what's going on in the industry, real estate, mortgages, private equity investments, you know. And I think that what you and I have chosen as our topic today is capital raising, raising capital. And how's your life going with raising capital? (laughs) Yeah. Hey, you know, in our business, Bill, when I, uh, you know, at the very basic level, the three pillars of the node investing business is having capital, having access to notes, and then managing those notes. And you need to have all three of those working equally, contributing to growing and running. And raising capital, having access to capital, there's so many, so many different ways to do that. And I feel like that attention. Oh, for sure. A hundred percent. I mean, I think about, well, and especially now, because we have come out of an era or we are nearing the end of an era where capital flowed very freely. You know, one would say the cupeth runneth over, so to speak, in terms of the amount of capital that was and still remains available in the market, A, because of, one, a printing of new money by the federal government, but more importantly, long before the $6 trillion care stimulus We looked at a, we are coming off of a 15-year run of declining interest rates. And whether, you know, it's basic economics 101 is that with interest rates low, you are in essence increasing the money supply, the capital available, because the cost of that capital is less. And that's a very different place than comparative to 18 months ago. You're that's for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's for sure. And I feel that 
for us in the note industry, one of the things that interesting characteristic is whenever there's a liquidity crunch, it causes notes to, to sell on the secondary market because people need to get raised liquid capital for whatever reason. And so when there's a crunch in liquidity, assets start to become available. Assets, pools of loans start to get put up for sale. And so there can be some incredible opportunities if you're positioned well and ready to to respond and take advantage of some of these opportunities. You hit the nail on the head, my friend. You know, this is the question that I've constantly gotten asked the last five years because people don't understand how I could get deals and consistently buy distressed deals at a mid-teens to low 20s yield when the rest of the market was having the bid at single-digit yields just in order to acquire product. And the story that I have told for the last several five years or so, which has been a very difficult market to buy distressed assets in, is that there is always someone who needs liquidity. And there are always deals available for those that are available with quick money and the ability to execute. And those deals have been much fewer and farther between the last few years with the availability of cheap money, been less people under a liquidity crunch. And yet here we are. Now we are looking yeah. at an event 18 months from a, you know, comparative to 18 months ago. I mean, there are members of your in my industry even who are suffering who are under the crunch themselves. You know, friends of ours that are have taken out a little more leverage than they anticipated would cost them and are now dealing with that. So, yeah. you know, we're going to see, cons- ironically, as small as our industry has gotten the last few years, which when I say our industry for everyone, I'm talking about the distressed, non-performing first lien and second lien mortgage industry. It's it's really been it's been small because there hasn't been a, as much as that opportunity set is now providing itself. There is also a lack of quality buyers out there. Now there's Goldman yeah. Sachs, there's Vivian Wong, there's folks that are out there ready to write $100 million checks. But our opportunities are just boundless. It's really exciting. Absolutely, Bill. And, you know, a lot of it comes down to how do you show up in the in the marketplace, in the industry? How do you transact your, your business? How do you run your shop? And what kind of rep do you have? That's a huge part because when people know you as someone who shows up in a way where you can close transaction, you perform as you say you're going to perform, and you make things go smoothly for everyone, then people want to do business with you. And the next time there's an opportunity, guess who's going to be the first one to get that phone call? That's right. And so it, I love what you said because it's so true. It's a huge part of it. It's, it's the relationships. And that's something that 
applies not only to being a good trading partner in the note industry, but also with which with respect to raising capital. How do you treat your investors? What kind of a relationship do you build with your investors? This is so important. Yeah, no, 100% true. And, you know, that there's so many different avenues to go down when it comes to investors. I mean, even where where my, I don't say we can all do better at investor reporting. What's most important is that you're operating with integrity in business because, you know, a lot of the folks that are now struggling to raise capital are folks that might have built a reputation or, you know, people, it's a small world. It's a big, it's a big world and a small country industry in many ways, you know, and yeah. So word gets around. A lot of what I'm proud to say is, is a lot of the successes I am now seeing 15 years into this industry are coming as a result of good deeds and operating with integrity years ago, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, but that's neither here nor there. You can't change other people's pasts. So, but it's the fact is those folks are the ones who's where there's opportunity that will lie. You know, the other thing yeah. is, I think the other thing is that it's a catch. It's a very interesting catch 22 because what I think a lot of what we saw and we're getting back to trying to get back to capital raising here, right? A lot of the money that I was trying to attract for distress deals the last five years ended up going to business purpose loans, hard money loans, non-QM loans. Those were the things that people got, family offices and smaller institutions got sold on a lot of that stuff. On the origination side? Exactly, on the origination Yeah, funding the origination, yeah. Yeah, because there was deal flow there. They could buy, you know, they could deploy larger amounts of capital, and they could buy multiple things. And, you know, what's now the interesting catch-22 that's happening is these family offices don't know a orange from a banana, so you come to them saying, I buy law, and they assume that's what they've been doing. Doing is they've been funding another originator's business. Yeah. They haven't yeah. been buying loans. They've been bu- funding someone else's business, taking them out at par or 101, and now they're stuck in loans that some of which are going bad. Never do that. And so now those same offices we're going to go and talk to these family offices and they say, you know what, we're interested, we want to invest, but first, could you look at this portfolio? Yeah, <laughs> and you have the expertise to take a look. And, and, yeah. But anyway, so back to capital yeah, raising. We've talked about, obviously, who we have to be as managers. And, and there's no, yeah. you know, that's obvious. Who are Where are you seeing success? Where are you targeting your capital raising? Are you going after small checks? Are you looking at crowdfunding? Are you looking at credit investor only? Are you doing funds? Are you doing syndications? What's your focus these days? I focus on on funds, but what I see, and, and speaking with a lot of different investors, 
And the folks that are contacting us, a lot of people are new to private investments. They are uh, looking for alternatives out of the traditional options available to them, the Wall Street options, the mutual funds. And some people, I have this happen all the time. I talk to people where the only investments they know about is their 401k plan at work, which gives them a half dozen different options to choose from. And by the way, they're all stock market products. So for them, they're 100% in the stock market. And when the stock market takes a tumble and they see their whole portfolio just diminish in value, they hate it. And they're looking for other alternatives. They want to get into real estate. They want to get into notes. Maybe they don't have the skills and knowledge and time to get involved in managing notes or managing real estate. And so they're looking for some type of fund where they can be a limited partner or passive investor. And that's a great fit. And so this is not for everyone. Like you're you're saying about the family offices, they're looking for a specific asset to invest in. And so it's a big part of it is matching up the offering, the investment to the people you're having a conversation with. And is it a good fit? Is the offering that you have a good fit for them? And does it match up? And we can break that down because there's a lot of characteristics to look at. But I'll tell you what, if it's not a good fit, the worst thing you could do is take someone's money knowing that it's not a good fit. And then later on, there's going to be regrets. There's going to be bad feelings. And it's not going to go well. And there's absolutely nothing wrong with having a meeting, a conversation with an investor, goals and objectives are, and if it's not a match, if it's not a fit, there's absolutely nothing wrong with saying, look, this is not a good fit. The The risk profile doesn't match what, what you want, or the time frame doesn't match, or the yield you're looking for is, is not in line with this type of asset. And we're not going to be a good fit to work work together. And just be honest, have an honest, open conversation. And maybe in the future, you can come back and revisit a different opportunity. And that's fine. But the worst thing that you want is to have an investor that later gets buyer's remorse. And now you have to handle that in some way. Because it just becomes a problem. It drains your energy, your focus. Instead of you focus on operating your business, finding good good deals, good opportunities. And so that's very important. I want, when I'm speaking with investors, I want them to have a fantastic experience. I want it to be amazing. So that after the deal's done and everything's over, you give them their capital back, and then they're going to turn around and say, hey, Fred, I love this. This was great. What's next? Yeah, that's awesome. And have you had instances of turning down? How many times do you turn down capital? It happens ongoing, ongoing. Uh, yeah. Either, the, 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 yeah. It's or, a great. It's a great piece of advice for everyone. By the way, I've done it myself, and and it's it's paid off and rewarded in the long run. I'm coming and off. People of a, appreciate that. 
Oh, yeah. When I started First Lean Capital, which was two and a half years ago, the first deal we were doing, I had a gentleman who I knew was an, inve- an equity investor in deals, high net worth investor, great guy, wanted to do business with him. He felt like it was a little new, like I was a little young, and it was true. I didn't have a proven track record. And so he offered me a loan for to buy our first deal with. And I turned mm-hmm. him down and I said, no, sir, I want to, I want to keep an open book and I want you as my equity partner. And we've, you know, spent the last two years in touch and he, and he would ended up writing me a seven figure check for some deal. And so that it does because pay you, off. you took the time to build a relationship. That's right. That's exactly what you just said there. Exactly. Yeah. Proof is in the pudding. You nailed it. It is. And sometimes it's okay to. How can I say this to go slower than the investor wants? And here's what I mean by that. If if theoretically an investor came to you that working for the first time and they wanted to write a seven figure check with you mm-hmm. and you said, Hey, you don't know me. You don't, we just met. Why? I'm not going to take your seven figure check right now. Why not instead you, you invest fifty thousand or a hundred thousand? Start small. We'll see how it goes. See how you how we work together. See how you your experience is working with us, and then afterwards you can always contribute more to the investment. Try it on for size first and see how it is, and. People really appreciate that because maybe they weren't thinking that way and you're giving them an opportunity to, to get, get to know you better, see how the relationship is. Are you happy? And then when, when their experience is that, yes, everything went the way you said it would, you did everything you said you were going to do. Now they're excited. And they come back and they say, hey, I want to invest more. And by the way, I have two friends that I I was telling them about you, and and they're interested too. And now you've just added someone to your sales team (laughs) by doing that. And now you have referrals coming in, and that's powerful. Right. Right. That's awesome. And, Nothing uh, wrong with going slow. Yeah, it's a it's a great piece of advice. You know, it's especially a great piece of advice even in times like this where it seems like there's going to be a lot of opportunity really soon. Well, the reality of it is, is even as the perver- we're going to be a it's going to be my friend. It's going to be years of opportunity ahead. That's what happens when markets cycle. You know, it's when you look at it from a real estate market point of view, the and from a real estate values point of view, they the crash that we all remember happening happened in two thousand eight. Yeah, the that was a stock market brought or a liquidity crisis brought about by issues with mortgage backed securities and all these ill 
ill-credited mortgages. That's not going to happen here. I, the real residential mortgage market is in a much better shape. We may yeah, have a yeah, stock market. We may have a stock market crash. If you listen to the big short guy, he's, he's invested in a, in shorting the, the stock market. We'll have sex one, some financial crisis event. My guess is it'll be banks that are losing because of the, and a huge commercial real estate devaluation, you know, that's going on. Whatever it might be. When that happened last time, that big event, which in our crisis we call the start of the the GFC in 2008, the real estate values plummeted and continued down for a period of about four four to six years. So, there's a, what would you say the bottom of the market was 12, or was it 2014 officially before the nationwide property values started to increase on a nationwide basis? I think 14, maybe 2014. Yeah, yeah. I think some of the more some of the markets that had more drastic value increases, the swings, those were hit harder. The places like in California and Las Vegas and right. Phoenix, Arizona and Florida, where the the value swing, the pendulum swung really far. Well, um, and the same thing, by yeah. the way. So, like you, people have to understand what we're, and of course, we've gotten out of a capital raising conversation into one of predicting market <laughs> collapses, as we all, as I always end up being doing. But like, let's look at the savings and loan. I'm actually typing it as we speak. The savings and loans crisis. Same thing there. So what I am saying to you is, is we there are my prediction is in the next eighteen months, and the reason I say eighteen months and not three months is because there is the slight chance that the federal government could step in again, given that it's an election year, and do something to band-aid the economy for another year. But let's just say for a moment the that it was, that it is, in the next 18 months, we will have some sign of major event that shifts the economy downward, in a downward momentum. And the last time this happened was in 2008 with the mortgage crisis in 2008, which shifted the economy downward for a number of years. And it started about a six year trend downward. And, and then, but what, and then the last time before that was the savings and losses, which was in the 1980s. The savings yeah. and loans crisis was started in 1980. It really, the last SNL probably went out of business in 1989. And real estate values on the commercial side, there was a whole plummeting and realignment of values. And it was also tied to a tax loophole thing. There's a whole story behind it. But that yeah. happened. Yeah, there were multiple factors. Yeah. Multiple factors. And guys were buying deals for pennies on the dollar 10 years after the start of that crisis and really didn't end until RTC closed in 1995. And and there was a five-year period where the government was handing out property or 10-year period where the handing out properties or something like that. Bottom line is the capital raising conversation is okay to be having now. It's We're talking about a deliberate process to raise capital 
how to position yourselves as such, and to be patient. I'm saying yeah. probably be patient saying, is a big. It's the big, the big theme. Yeah, especially right now. I'm saying I'll this, tell of you, course, Bill. I to you, and I'm actually talking to myself. <laughs> yeah, no, it's true. I have, I've had conversations with investors that they want to be more aggressive. Right. They have a lot of capital available, or they have l- large lines of credit available to use. And right now, you know, right now is not the time for for deploying that. But it will will it will come, and so you you still keep those relationships going because the opportunity will arise where it makes sense to use that type of capital, and then you can put that together quickly when right. you need to. Right. And so every it, it's it's almost like you 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 have the particular asset or the opportunity. And then what type of capital is going to go well with that? It's going to work well with that. Right. It's a, it's very different working with an investor that has. That's a wrap of today's episode of the real estate lowdown. I enjoy bringing this content to you each and every week, and I really appreciate you tuning in. If you haven't already done so, please share the Real Estate Lowdown or any episode, any favorite episode with your friends, family, and you know, if you don't mind, leave a positive review wherever you listen to your podcasts. Remember to follow us so you don't do get notified every time a new episode is released. Love to hear from you directly at billbymel.com. Till then, see you next time.